There are warriors for good and warriors for change out there. And in my mind, the more we promote them, as opposed to some of the <clears throat> Pop-Tarts we're putting all over our magazines and newspapers, the better. I would much rather see our, our newscasts and our newspapers and the Daily Mail have front pages with these social entrepreneurs than, than some of these people who might be on some reality show and got in a fight with so-and-so housewife. That would be nice. Welcome to Ask William and Friends. My fabulous guest, Heather Mason, created her California-based company, Caspian Agency, back in 2005, and today she is an events industry rock star, master course lecturer, and a global public speaking powerhouse. In the episode, she explains how success started with belief in abundance, and why it is the route to more power, respect, and money. One of her passions is helping women who own their own businesses succeed and thrive beyond their wildest dreams. And this conversation between, well, the flamboyant hotel concierge, me, and the world-leading event superstar, Heather, is packed with dynamic advice. This episode celebrates the incredible power of women in business and plays homage to the International Women's Day celebrations of 2022. Listen and enjoy. Hi, so Heather, welcome to the Ask William and Friends podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be here today. So um, it's a very special month. We are celebrating International Women for the March edition of OX Magazine. And I couldn't think of anyone nicer uh, to have on the show than uh, my very good friend, uh, Heather, who I've worked with for many years whilst working at the Randolph in Oxford. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I am so excited to be on here with my good friend. And I just feel like we have so many stories and things to talk about that I was thrilled um, to be able to do this. Amazing. Well, we do have lots of stories. Some we probably can't air uh, right, due to uh, right. our parties, <laughs> uh, but a lot we can definitely share with our listeners, which uh, I'm so excited about. So, Heather, um, let's take it back to where we sort of met. I think is is probably going to be the good uh, good start, and uh, we'll discuss you know where you started the business, Caspian Productions, and uh, and what the future holds for for well the industry of hospitality and also for the future of events. But um, what was the first memory of, of our meeting? Oh my. So I was new to England um, in 2006 was the first time I came there to work on the Skull World Forum. And I had never been to the country before. So everything was new. And um, I remember I had to go to the Malmaison, which had just opened, which of course is a prison and had been a working prison from the 1300s until 1970s. And they had just uh, transformed it into a uh, gorgeous hotel, but I was a little leery of that. And then I heard as well, a place where I should book my guests was the Randolph Hotel. And it was a hotel, not a prison. So that already made me feel a little bit better, even though the Malmaison is gorgeous. And I remember walking in and just seeing this very well-appointed gentleman as the concierge in a top hat and tails. And I thought, wow, I have really arrived in England and it was a great experience. And that was you. And I learned very quickly that you had the keys to the kingdom when it came to the city of Oxford, which is exactly what I needed. Well, that's our job. We're there to help <laughs> any visitor that comes to the city or uh, wants to travel anywhere. You know, we are that one stop shop and we're at your service. And that's mm -hmm. the key to the successful of, uh, of a concierge. So 
yeah, no, it was great, great, great opportunity for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. So with um, regards to, obviously, the founder of, of the Caspian uh, Productions, uh, could you just give us a bit of background into that? Yeah, well, and I, I think it is a, a good story because, at least in my mind, it shows that, and I know your listeners are, are all over the world, but um, for me, in my perspective, it showed me that the American dream is still still alive. Because I, I grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho, with uh, not a lot. When I say not a lot, uh, I was excited to go to college because they had showers. You know, I grew up washing my hair in the sink. Wow. And we had a bathtub, but uh, but that's how I got ready in the morning. So, and we had wood heating. So the story that I'm I'm about to tell surprised even me. But I started in the movie industry, and we can go into that later. Then I went into marketing and dot coms. And then a friend of mine, when I was up in the Bay Area, said, you know, you really should uh, look at events. They're a lot like film, uh, and you produce them. And I thought that was a horrible idea. It's like, no, why would I go into events? That's awful, which is hilarious to look back on. <laughs> and, um, and so my friend, of course, quickly reminded me I had no rent money. So that made events very appealing. And I went to work at the Charles Schwab Corporation and became an event manager. And I learned that my friend had been right. The skill set was arguably very similar from movie production skills to um, and marketing, which I had done. And so I stayed there for three years and did their regional events uh, all around the all around the country. But I just didn't feel fulfilled. I just always felt that my mm-hmm. role on the planet is to try to you know leave it a little better than I started and. I just thought I couldn't do that there. And I always wanted to start my own company. So as ridiculous as it sounds, I quit my job after three years. Also was ridiculous to my parents because they did not have you know, the wherewithal if I failed. <laughs> yes. I had $1,400 in the bank. And I just said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to start an event company. And I'm going to do it based on two principles. One, which is to do it on strategy, create a methodology. I was shocked that the event world did not have an accepted methodology to link strategy and creation and production uh, together in a, in a systematic way. So that was one, Caspian 10 Essentials. And then the wow. second one was I wanted to work with people who were changing the world for good, which ended up being foundations and such. And everybody said, well, you'll fail if you're going to go into you know charity cases and I said, I don't care. That is how I want to spend my life. And lucky for me, uh, saving the world is pretty much in vogue now. So it was the right decision after all. And that's how Caspian started. Very humble beginnings in 2005. So Heather, we know that Caspian is a big events company uh, that looks after many events in the UK and in America. What would you say are the main differences between Caspian and other events companies that operate? Well, I would say, and you know, every event company has their own way of doing business, which is fantastic. That's part of what I like about this industry and this sector. But the way we set ourselves apart is that we firmly believe in strategy first. So I often tell new staff who get hired with me, hey, you know, the client might want to do something, but the reason they're hiring us is because we're the surgeons, you know, and a surgeon doesn't let a patient dictate how they're going to do their surgery. You know, a surgeon just wants to understand the problem so that they can analyze it and then offer a good solution. And so, you know, to me, um, at Caspian, starting with strategy and linking that to execution is our 
key differentiator. And that's what the 10 essentials do. You know, they start with success mm -hmm. metrics, audience mix, content mapping, and then we can link that to execution. But we firmly believe that there is not a handoff approach, which I think is how most people see events. It's like, well, the big heads think of the big idea, then they hand it off. And yet in no other industry is that thought of, you know, you don't come up with a building and never talk to people that are going to have to plummet and put electrical in it. You know, you don't, you don't talk to a surgeon and go, well, I'm going to go down the street to Joe's chop shop. You know, it's linked. And so strategy is really where we start. And I would say the second part of it is almost what we were speaking about, which is respect, respect for execution and respect for execution throughout the line of that execution that I think sets us apart because we're able to offer white glove service at the highest level, which you can only do if you have teams that respect each other. I firmly believe that. I don't think you can offer white glove service if you don't have top-notch respect. So Heather, we know you are a legend in the field when it comes to organising events. You have some fantastic clients and represent some amazing organisations and huge foundations. When did it start? What was the first event that you remember? Yeah, which is, you know, kind of shocking for me to, to think about, which, um, you know, how did, how did we get here? And yet I had a very firm focus from the beginning, you know, to work with social impact organizations. And our first one was um, the communications network, which was really handy because that was all the head of comms from all these various foundations and nonprofits. Well, actually, I take that back. The very, very, very first one was the Skull Foundation. And I did an event for them, which was to launch um, a PBS show, which PBS in the United States is the public broadcasting service uh, television. And it was with Robert Redford. He was narrating and Pat Mitchell, who was the head of the uh, PBS at the time. She had just testified in front of Congress to save it, save funding. So she was a, a big deal. She still is a big deal. And then, oh, um, oh, we love Pat Mitchell. We could go on we and do. on about loving Pat Mitchell. And, and I actually have a good story about her really helping me <laughs> at the very beginning. And we did a series of kind of showcasing these uh, PBS stories of social entrepreneurs at the Google headquarters, which the Google guys uh, introduced. And then Robert Redford and Pat Mitchell were on a panel. And then we went to another location and a third location and showed these films. And that was my first that was Caspian's first client, which is crazy. Yeah. So it was the Skull Foundation. So I started out kind of at the uh, the top level, which is a little frightening, but I had worked with you know celebrities before, top level folks before in film. And then I also worked at the Sundance Film Festival, you know, starting in 1993 when it was still tiny. Wow. And so yeah. um, I had a, a good kind of experience having met with very high level people that had very high level expectations from a very early age of around, you know, 18, 19. And I think that really helped later on and definitely helps now. I know you shouldn't have favorites apart from <laughs> me, uh, especially in the uh, Oxfordshire, exactly. Oxfordshire home. Um, but in regards to these amazing events that you do throw, and you've done many now, um, mm -hmm. is it fair to say that you prefer 
some more than others? Is there a special <laughs> favorite out of the uh, the bunch? Yes, exactly. And it, it is like your kids. You can't pick just one. You know, there's different reasons you love different ones. Um, yeah. I mean, the Skull World Forum is definitely a, a bright shining light, but I know we're going to talk about that a lot more. So I'll, I'll try to pick mm-hmm. another one. I will say we did an event in Bellagio, Italy. That was quite an incredible place to do a convening. And it was talking about uh, artificial intelligence. And so you had all these really, the, some of the wisest, uh, smartest people in the world talking about artificial intelligence in Bellagio at this gorgeous location that I can't unfortunately say which it where it was. And that was just spectacular to just see people relaxing, but also talking about how artificial intelligence is gonna change our world. I would say another one which was phenomenal, and again, I can't say some of these um, uh, organizations necessarily, but this was where uh, this foundation focused on uh, saving the oceans, and and you know, part of it was pretty depressing because I learned a lot about what's happening to the oceans. But the the really inspirational part was how much they wanted to put to saving them, and we had to bring billionaires, which is really fun. People would know some of these names if I said them on a helicopter. So from the private airstrip to on a helicopter to these ocean going vessels off the coast of both LA and then San Francisco. So an 11 day kind of logistic experience. And then when they got to the ocean going vessel, they were to take a submarine uh, ride in these private little submarines that had been acquired from James Cameron and um, see the oceans and then come back on the vessel and then have a VR experience where they could learn about, uh, you know, the decimation of our oceans and what they could do about it. And so that was, I learned a lot about helicopters, when they could fly, what type of cloud cover you could have, because of course, my team and I were getting screamed at by high level assistants going, you better get my boss off the boat by the, before the cloud cover so they can get back on their private plane and get back to a board meeting. Wow. So it was a little, it was a little tense. Uh, I also learned I am, I am slightly prone to seasickness. That was fun. Uh, it's a little bit hard to try yeah. to uh, work with billionaires and look like you are, you know, like you look, William, lovely and presentable when you're slightly turning green, which I think I was part of the time. <laughs> Reminds me of last night, to be honest. <laughs> But uh, we won't go into that on the uh, on the podcast. That's very really true. But yeah, that yeah. one was that one was probably one of the most special. I would say that was neat. Amazing. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I mean, you're remarkable that you just grab hold of this, and and you've been a real support to me over the years, and 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 given me advice and stuff. And it's remarkable you just grab things with both hands. You just <laughs> make it work. You always look glamorous. Um, <laughs> Even when, you know, things are hitting the fan. And let's face it, we'll be talking about some of that later, but um, you just make it work. I mean, I take my hat off to you. Uh, Well, thank you. Well, it's definitely been, um, it's been an experience in lots of crises. And my family likes to say that if I were going to write a a book of memoirs, it would be always enjoying a crisis or a toddler in traffic, one or the other. Uh, would probably be the titles of my book. (laughs) You should definitely get onto that because uh, there'll be plenty of people that would love to read it, including myself. (laughs) I obviously follow you and I enjoy seeing you on LinkedIn and uh, you do a lot of public speaking uh, and things like that. 
I know at the moment from what I've seen that you're advertising because you know there is an especially after the last two years with with the COVID and, and the pandemic you know a lot of things have changed we're, we're, fingers crossed we're on the right path finally where mm-hmm. we can get back to a form of normality but there's been some good things I think that have, have possibly come out of uh, out of the pandemic I know a lot has been negative where do you see events moving forward? You know, it, what's changed or what what does the future hold for this sort of thing? I am so excited about what this holds for events. And I know I'm sometimes in the minority of, of saying these things, although I, I do think there's more people starting to beat this drum. But even at the very beginning, I was excited. And I know that sounds crazy and not I wasn't excited about a pandemic, lest anybody take my, my words incorrectly. I was excited about the disruption that was happening in the business that I'm in that I have been kind of screaming for and crying out for for the last Mm -hmm. umpteen years. You know, I've owned my business for 17 years and I feel from the very beginning, because I came from a background of marketing, that events were underutilized, that they were under leveraged, that they were not being strategically uh, placed and that there could be so much more. And I feel like what what the time of this you know disruption created was opportunities for brand new creation. And having lived through, and I know, I mean, I'm only Gen X, but having lived through the financial crisis, having lived through the dot com burst and bust and burst again, disruption leads to so much good. If the people who see the cracks in the ground don't see it as cracks in the ground for lost soil, but see the cracks in the ground as opportunity for buds to burst forth and new crops to be created. And so for events, what this means is we can now have year round event engagement, virtual events, hybrid events, and then in person, virtual, hybrid, in person, virtual, virtual. We can create all sorts of combinations to keep audiences engaged with content. We can have more on demand content. And this goes back to my film and TV background. We can create television shows from all this rich content that was been, that has been created within person. We can now leverage it year round. And we can make speakers look better than maybe they would have in person when we actually video them and fix them in post, Um, (laughs) which I like to do. Because sometimes I say I put people on stage that should never be on stage. No matter how much they know, you still have to have some charisma, for heaven's sakes. Um, And I know I can't say that to clients, but I I would absolutely love to. But I just think this is such a great time for events. The other thing is I always speak to people about... If you take something away, it shows the value of it. You know, events have been underutilized and undervalued because at least in America, and I know this is different around the world where event professionals are more respected. In America, it's seen as a secretary's job that got glorified. And that is not great. Now with virtual, nobody can say their secretary can put that together. It has been accepted as a more professional sector, and it is a profession that people need to learn and understand and can't just walk in because they have ovaries, which has kind of been the the look of events for a long time in this country. And I'm excited about that part. So to me, there could not be a better time for events, and there could not be a better time to transform them into the strategic, highly professional uh, leveraging business tools they could have been all along. Oh, and one more thing, because I love to add one more thing. 
I will say because I'm always about Pollyanna, I love the fact that this becomes more uh, accessible. In the time of virtual, all of a sudden, people stopped slamming the doors shut on who could come to events. And we run very exclusive events, and I have no problem with that. You know, there's a reason why some events do need to be exclusive. So that's not a problem. But for some of these others to allow people, and I'm just going to say I'm from Idaho, to allow people from Idaho to be able to see or even participate in some of the events I do is really special. And to invite people's voices in the room globally, not talking about them, talking with them, that is a whole new wave. And that is a positive thing for society that I don't think we ever would have done if COVID hadn't forced people to allow things to be more accessible. With regards to the future, I mean, are you wanting to get more involved with inside the UK? I know that you obviously bring these big events over. What's the target audience for the UK moving forward? You know, is is it to bring America over here or would you consider (laughs) doing things UK based because you're such a legend in the field? (laughs) You're so kind. I should hire you as my PR person. (laughs) So yes, we have done multiple events over in the UK because uh, we've gotten to be known, which is kind of fun. We've worked with the Q Foundation, so Q Gardens, uh, which I am now in love with plants. And I didn't know some somebody could make me passionate about plants, but I am after having worked with them. Um, we did a gender investing summit in London, which was really fun. Um, and I've taught training at um, a couple places in London uh, around our Caspian 10 Essentials. Um, And we've also done a a film screening when we worked with Participant Media and we took uh, the Inconvenience sequel movie around the world to private screenings. We did one right there in London. So I am a big fan of the UK. I would love to keep coming to the UK. I'm a total Anglophile. And whoever came up with clotted cream, scones and jam should be kissed and knighted because that is the best thing on the planet. And we cannot replicate it over here. Just nope. nope, nope. <laughs> well, I will give you a fantastic recipe that was handed down to me by my northern grandmother, and it never oh. fails. And you will be loving the experience, the British experience at home. So leave that with me. I'll send it across to you. <laughs> I would I would love that. And the whole tea culture and the whole pub culture. I mean, the culture, I could go on about the culture of the UK. I mean, how great is it that it, three or so you're like, let's have tea because that's right when you're getting tired and let's make it special. Like we're not just going to, I mean, in America, it'd be like, here's your frigging tea. You know, in in London, it's like, and here's tea and it's awesome and it's great. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's a really wonderful thing. The other thing that I love too is the pub culture. And in Oxford, you know, the turf tavern and the fact that you have to go down these little tiny alleyways to get there and it's warm and there's a fire. And of course, for me, there's football on the telly, which I love. <laughs> it's just and amazing. Lots of, lots of beer, lots of beers. And lots of beer. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Oh, no. we, we will do that again. I'm so excited. And uh, I was fortunate enough, obviously, to spend a, a, a short amount of time with you. And we did yes. uh, We did make up for lost time, which was great. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Um, actually on onto that point because you did just mention there and uh again i you know i follow you and, and keep a, a close eye on what you're doing these days with uh with the business and, and caspian but what's the story with your online training things i mean that's quite a big element that you, you you've launched as well could you give us a bit more information on that one 
Oh, well, you know, I love to talk about that. It is like talking about my kids. Um, so <laughs> one of the things to know about me, and I think we've talked about this before when you started your business as well, which is abundance. You know, my entire mm -hmm. theme in business is abundance. Uh, there is no scarcity. And I think the minute an entrepreneur thinks that there's scarcity, it can really stop their business from growing. Um, and in the spirit of abundance, I thought I would love to share what I've discovered in doing the Caspian 10 Essentials, it has made our events smoother, uh, more repeatable, more scalable, and our experience with our clients is better. And I think our clients have a better experience when we go through these 10 steps, because they're really 10 project management steps. Um, and then a sidelight, I do find for event professionals, it helps them get more power, more respect, and more money. And that's really our slogan. If you go to our online trainings, it's how to get you more power, respect, and money. Because I believe that the more people that get power, respect, and money, the more it helps me. You know, it doesn't take away from my business. In fact, it adds to it. And so those are online trainings on our website, caspianagency.com. And then to follow on that, I thought, well, let me teach more because I'm uh, teaching the master's course at San Diego State in their events program, I teach financials and economics. And I thought, you know, the more you know about money and how to you know, talk about it with your bosses, your organization, or even your own, the more you have control over, you know, the narrative of where you want to take things. And so we're going to be offering a financials course. And I also teach people how to public speak. So we'll be offering a public speaking course. So just, I find if you learn something by the time you get to your second half of life, which is where I am, am uh, you want to, you want I know it's so weird, even though I'm 29, 29, you start to want to give back and you want to say, okay, how can I help people not go through the things I did and shortcut their learning so they can become more successful faster or find their path faster? So yeah. that's what our, yeah. our trainings are about. Amazing. I think um, you will probably have to give me some uh, some uh, tricks on uh, public speaking as well. <laughs> well, you are so good at it already. But um, yeah, the way I talk about it is we do techniques around uh, body. So we start with the body first. And a lot of courses don't start there. They start with the head up, which is a very mm -hmm. Western approach. You know, Westerners yeah. think oh, if I have ideas in my mind, I can speak them. Your body has to agree with them. And your body has to help you communicate those ideas. So we start a lot with the body. Um, and then we also try to get out of the way of the words. Uh, fancy sentences are usually your enemy in public speaking. And that comes from my film background. You know, the best dialogue can be sometimes the simplest. So, yeah. I think you'd be excellent. Oh my gosh, William, you'd be a, you'd be a quick study. I'd probably spend five minutes with you and you'd be like, but now I'm doing my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, that was another a lovely event I, I used to enjoy in the city but uh, yeah I mean you know working in hotels it's like being on stage you know it's it's yeah. theatrical Great. it's beautiful our job is to provide services I mean I absolutely loved loved my time in hotels as as, as you you know you witness yeah. um I'm so fortunate in what I'm doing now because you know it's given me an opportunity to be able to you know, outsource services of concierge to other hotels. So all of a sudden, right. you know, it's not just working for one, but it's still all of that um, added value and enhanced experience for for the people coming back. You know, I, it's just wonderful. I, I wake up every day feeling so blessed that uh, 
you know, that all them years ago, my mum sort of forced me into uh, in, into <laughs> hospitality. Really, I remember when I left school and uh, and she said, uh, "What what what are your plans?" And I says, "Well, I'm just going to take a year out, mum, and you know, find out what I want to do." And she says, "No, you're not. You're going straight back into <laughs> second edu- into further education, and that will be that." And, and thank goodness she did because. Um, you know, it gave me the tools to be able to do the job at ILO, which I'm so fortunate. Hmm. But I just think it's such a brilliant idea because, again, it's about value creation. And, and you know, I always find, I mean, this is what I did with mine. You create your own market. If you create your own market, you own it, you know, and you've created your own market. You know, there is a, a new market now for keys to the city, you know, keys to the city through uh, Ask William. And it's a necessary service. And people will you know, pay a lot to be like, make my life easier. We're living fast, complicated, busy lives that are stressful. And anytime you can relieve that pressure, which I also like to think Caspian does, you know, you're, you're going to have a winning formula. And so when I saw what you were doing, I was like, that makes so much sense because I want you to take away my pressure, (laughs) my stress. (laughs) I'm always at your service. Whatever you need, I will be there. I like Give it all over to you. That's good. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, there will be opportunities for us to work together in the future, Heather. I know that that is definitely, definitely on our cards. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to get involved with that and support where I can. Ask William and Friends is sponsored by Sun Fun You Mediterranean Voyages. I had the privilege of joining a fantastic Sun Fun New Voyage last year in Greece, and it was absolutely stunning. We ate, we drank, we exercised with a certified trainer. We had our own private guide that took us on the most historic and hidden sites, and we swam daily in the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. In a nutshell, it was epic, and I really didn't want to leave. I am so excited to be joining their fabulous Turkish island tour this year. Even more exciting is it is a business owned and ran by a woman. Cynthia knows exactly how to create value with her amazing voyages and create a niche offering that is a concierge dream. I can highly recommend something new to my clients without any hesitation. And Heather, yes, you will be happy to know that daily they do serve a delicious afternoon tea on board the boat, as well as lots of beer and a tipple of gin or two. That's one of the joys of being a concierge, to help people find the perfect experience to fit their needs. Now, with regards to... This month's edition of the podcast, it is the Women's Month edition. So with that, what advice would you give to sort of your corporate sisters? You know, there's a real good connection, I feel, uh, especially with, you know, female CEOs and things. You know, they always want to sort of help each other and, and see each other succeed. Is, is this advice you could give on that? Well, you know, if you ask me to talk about that stuff, I'll probably never stop. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> One of my, you know, one of my passions is in helping women-owned uh, businesses succeed and thrive um, beyond their wildest dreams. If I can at least help in a, a little way to get them there, so um, I started CEO U, uh, CEO U.com, which was about helping women start and scale um, a micro or small business. And then I also have Surefire, which is for girls, but we can talk about that later. Um, and then I speak at a lot of entrepreneurial conferences. Uh, I speak in the meeting industry to meeting uh, professionals and business owners. And my biggest message, and we've covered on a little bit, is, is abundance. And it's also um, value creation. So price for value 
You know, don't a lot of times I think women will hold themselves back because they're thinking, well, that's what it should cost or, you know, that's what I think I can get. And yet I always encourage them. And this is going to be some American businesses I'm going to mention, but I always encourage them to think about like 99 cent store Target and Tiffany's. So in the U.S., you know, we have the 99 cent store sells everything for like a buck. And then, you know, Target. And of course, most people know Tiffany's the blue box. The interesting thing is the market cap for Tiffany's is if it still is the same, it's below 99 cent store. I'll have to check my stats, make sure that's still true. But at the time I would talk about it, it was. So that's not a pejorative statement to say, do you want to be 99 cent store Target or Tiffany's? 99 cent store makes a lot of money (laughs) and their Mm -hmm. value proposition is very different. And then Target has a very different value proposition, kind of upscale Walmart, I would say. But you price based on who you want to be in the market, not on how much money you think you deserve or should make. And sometimes for women, that's a very different mindset. I would say the other mindset around abundance is don't look at other women as your competition. I don't. I mean, there's plenty of event companies, but I don't see them as my competition because there's $63 billion in the American market alone. Unless somebody wants all 63 billion, they're not my competitor. You know, they can take 62 billion and I still have enough money left for me. So that thinking really limits and constrains you. And the one thing you don't want as an entrepreneur is constrained, tight thinking. You want broad-based, open thinking that brings in as many ideas as possible. So those are just the first two, and you know I could go on. So obviously Oxford plays such a lovely uh, part of your life over these years. Yes. We've had some wonderful experiences, uh, some very hairy ones. Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I just wanted to let the listeners know that, you know, not every event goes as it should, as we know, but uh, our job is to... uh, Reduce as much collateral uh, damage yes. traditionally that, uh, as possible. Yep. Now, one of the most memorable, for many reasons, I think, is probably when we were hosting the Skull World Forum. Um, can't remember when it was, but maybe five, six years, Heather. Yeah, yeah, I think it was twenty eighteen, but I can't remember exactly. I'll remember. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, picture the, the day. It was a hot summer afternoon. Um, I think we had. Well, the majority of guests were out of the hotel on this this occasion um, yeah. because you were running huge events across the whole city, outside business school, yeah. the theatres, etc. Um, and then, you know, something hits the fan, basically. Um, <laughs> what was your memories of this uh, very challenging uh, 48 hours um, from uh. the point of uh, the fire starting? Yeah, from from my point of view, yep. So we were actually doing the closing plenary at the new theater and it was the final event. So all of our guests were in the new theater, which as you know, is right around the corner from the Randolph. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, so close that the reason I heard about it is because somebody smelled smoke from the theater, from the back of the theater. and Well, because they're they're connected buildings as well, I think. You used to take the VIPs through the back way, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we were literally about to introduce, and I'm backstage all the time with the MC and the performers and all the speakers. And we have a green room backstage, and um, I was just about to send on my MC to uh, introduce the final musical act, 
And as he was about to go on, um, one of my staff ran backstage, grabbed my arm and said, there's a fire at the Randolph. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. You know, it's, I'm sure they'll put it out. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking it was probably some, some small fire and they're like, it's a fire in the kitchen. I go, well, then they'll put it out. You know, that's fine. And he's like, you don't understand Heather. There are tons of fire trucks showing up. And I was like, what? And then somebody else was texting me going, I can smell smoke in the back of the theater. I went, what? So while our, our final, literally final speaker was speaking, so we were almost done. I was almost out of the woods. <laughs> um, I turned to my MC and I said, you're going to have to announce that there is a fire in the Randolph that we want them all to stay here for the moment. And we will give them an update in a minute. Uh, we need to figure out what's going on. So I said, you know, I need to make sure we get the, the fire people. So we know, should we evacuate this building? Like, what should we do? So he's scrambling, I'm scrambling. And our MC went out on stage and said, all right, everyone, you know, stay calm, which is always hard to do. And we brought all our kind of principal uh, clients backstage. Um, I had my staff bring them all backstage where I said, okay, we're assessing the situation. And it was really funny because everyone asked, like, who's in charge? And I said, I am. And those are the moments, you know, where you realize, like, are you going to take on that mantle of leadership? And I think anybody who goes into events needs to desire the mantle of leadership as opposed to, you know, is it thrust upon you? Do you take it? I wanted it. You know, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. That's why you hired me. And we had a lot of emergency plans already in place, which was great. So I said, we have a, you know, comms headquarters back at Said Business School. We're going to set up there. We're going to give people regular updates. We're going to tell them all to go back there. We have a big enough tent to put them all in and we'll give them updates. So my MC went out, told everybody, you know, meet in the tent at the business school and we'll give you regular updates. And then we started to make the plan. So that's what, that's how it started from my perspective, quite harrowing backstage, but at least the good part is we had everyone there to make an announcement and start to make a plan. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have no idea what it was like from your perspective. Well, so, I mean, we, we, you know, we do say it couldn't have come at a better time of day, to be honest. Um, thankfully, Great. all of the guests were, were at, at the event, which was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, actually, uh, I'd actually just left for the day. I think, um, yeah, it was uh, about 3.30, 4 o'clock, maybe 4.30. And Mr. Grange, who you knew for many years, the general manager, um, who sadly passed away shortly after, he'd uh, gone to a birthday celebration in, in um, Windsor. That was it, a Windsor wow. celebration. And obviously he got the call. He called me. Uh, I went straight back to the hotel, got through the block uh, blockades, straight back in there. And uh, he was then stuck in traffic because of obviously the chaos in the city. It meant that no traffic was flowing. So bless him. I mean, he managed to get to us, you know, I'd like to say when it was all over, it wasn't the case, but he got to us in a few hours. But yeah, I mean, it was just a massive team effort, as as, as we know, uh, you know, is a family organization with inside hotels and events like yours. And uh, we pulled together. But, you know, I remember your your VIPs, uh, which we had great relationships with, obviously, a lot return every year to come uh, to the World Forums. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some of them we even have on personal contacts, you know, that it's, it's that sort of relationship that we, we build with them through you guys. And, uh, you know, we were grabbing passports, connecting things <laughs> from the... Uh, 
certain bedrooms. Yeah. There was a bit of a priority list, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, who who would be uh, answered to first? But the fire teams, you know, they took us up one by one, and we accessed their safes. And and luckily, yeah. I mean, 48 hours later, you guys and, and ourselves, we'd we'd managed yeah. to rebook flights and mm-hmm. take over the hotels across the south of England to be able to accommodate guests before they flew out. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, remarkable, remarkable that no one was hurt. Um, but the grand old lady, I mean, she still stands today. She's just had a <laughs> fabulous refurbishment, very colourful, as you as you know. Yes. And um, luckily, yeah. everyone came back. You know, it was I a, know. Bit of a, joke, <laughs> bit of a joke three years later, but uh, yeah. But people did see the funny side, which was good, and no it, one was it, hurt. I was going to say that was the nice part. Well, and I just remember my team interfacing with you, and then we had set up a, a you know a um, strategic comms at the mm-hmm. business school. And then we would give people, you know, updates on the microphone every, I had us going in there every half hour, hour, I would go in there on the microphone, give an update. Um, we also scoured Marks and Spencer's for snacks and toiletries and had them all laid out with bags so people could do a pick, a pick bag, pick list of anything they yeah. needed for overnight. Um, and then we, yeah, rebooked them all in different hotels. We had buses and transport set up. And then that night, because there was going to be a closing party anyway, but it was usually a lot smaller for just the people kind of left in town, you know, the Skull Foundation, so generous throughout all of this. I have to give a huge shout out to them that they just were like, we're going to help all our people and no one has to be concerned, you know, about the help they're going to receive. And so they opened up that closing night party to everyone, which was perfect because we set up a um, a headquarters desk there at the party and people could constantly come in. They could go eat and drink and have a great night and then come back and keep checking in on, did you get my flight rebooked? Did you get my hotel booked? You know, and then we were also, you know, there were some significant items we had to recover from the yeah. hotel that we were working with you on, which was heart yeah. medicine, you know, breast pumps, you know, things yeah. that are really important for your, your life. And, yeah. um, and so setting up that desk and having that closing night party already in place, just let people let their hair down. It could not have been better. And then that next morning, I know you and I were running around Oxford playhouse, you know, matching luggage to people, uh, all morning. Um, and you're right. It, I could not believe, but 48 hours, everything was fine. In fact, I would even say 36 hours, we were wrapped. And then I think you and I collapsed somewhere on a floor. <laughs> it most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a very, very challenging uh, 48 hours, but that's what we're here for. We get the job done. Yeah. So, and uh, hey, massive teamwork it- there. Hey, isn't this the time, because I love this word that you Brits use, isn't this a perfect opportunity to use the word shambolic? I mean, it was a bit shambolic, right? <laughs> I I, darling, I was completely in control. I don't know what everyone else was doing. <laughs> but, um, yes, a bit, a bit shambolic yes. in certain areas, yeah, in especially with with, the, yes. with the, the chef that started it. so uh, Well, that's but, what it was. No, we were, I would agree, we were in control the whole time. Yeah. The, the original experience was the shambolic part. No, you and your top hat and tails never broke a sweat, uh, waltzed through the building and the burning embers with, with gracious aplomb, I would agree. Yeah. No, it was, it was yeah. only that, that, yeah, dreadful first moment. Uh, well, thank from- you for having faith in, in the hotel and, and coming back. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> it was touch and go, I'm sure, especially around the board meetings, but hey, hey. Yeah. 
Mm. So, no, really, really good, good uh, memories there. But, you yeah. know, and it, 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 it's still here. You know, we were very lucky. And, <laughs> well, uh, well, hey, it's and it was a great uh, respite for our folks even years prior when the volcano erupted on the last day. Again, yes. both things on the last day. Volcano erupted and stranded every single person at the Forum in London for a full week. Yeah, uh, when the Icelandic, which I still can't pronounce, Ice Lavash Lavash Lavash, um, volcano erupted, and that was—I mean, I was trying to book cruise ships and private flights, and ugh, it was. Well, I remember we had actually uh, two of your guests um, that were staying, and they ended up paying a driver to drive them all the way to Italy. But you know, that's that's what we're there. They wanted other options, and they got to where they were going. So. Totally. Yeah, it was challenging times, challenging times. Role models. You've always had passion, which is what where you are today. And but as was there any role models that you can sort of talk about that contributed to the, the drive and and you know admiration for what you're doing? Well, I would say, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I pretty well worship the ground that Oprah walks on. I think. Oprah is and and was, you know, such a positive force in America for American women. And the thing I really liked about her is, and still like about her, is that she wants to encourage people and everything she does is from abundance and positivity and finding your own path because that message, you can't go wrong. You know, there is no best when you're doing your own path. No one can say, oh, that's not the best of your own path. You know, that that would be a ridiculous statement. And so she's constantly encouraging people to go deeper um, in order to go farther in their life, whether, and that doesn't have to be money. You know, that doesn't have to mean Mm -hmm. success in the way the world says it. And when she started her magazine, I was such a devotee. I read it every single time I got it, cover to cover. I've never done that before. And the thing that she did with her magazine, which was so impressive, is she went against all magazine for women rules at the time. You know, magazine for rules women were tell women they're not skinny enough, they're not smart enough, their boyfriend doesn't or husband doesn't love them enough unless they do all these things and they don't look good enough and they need to buy new clothes. You know, as every women's magazine, and they did studies that reading a woman's magazine as a woman would deflate your self-esteem by like X percentage. And so her magazine was exactly the opposite. It was, you are kind of good enough and you're going to be better. And how do you focus on these things? And I thought, you know, everything that I want to do, the people I want to hire, the people I want to work with, the company I want to create needs to foster that type of sense of being. And that's why we cross train, you know, somebody might be a lead on a project on one and then an assist to the lead on another. You know, there's not a hierarchy. So that really keeps this kind of idea of hierarchy and better than out, or at least as much as I can, given human beings. The second thing is I started in my company, um, peer rewards. So you, William, could nominate, you know, Tom for a best this week award. You could make it up and he gets a $10 gift certificate and vice versa. And they're unlimited because it fosters that sense of we all, you know, deserve to be recognized. And so Oprah to me, I mean, I have other ones. Pat Mitchell is one, of course, but I feel like she was really my North star in thinking about how I wanted to run my business and how I wanted to run my life, you know, and I still read her books today. 
And I, I often ask men too, who would be the Oprah of men? And I don't know yeah. if I know that answer. So I don't know if you have an Oprah of men, but that's my, my Oprah. <laughs> it's a good Oprah. It's a good Oprah. And <laughs> good Oprah. Pat, Mil- Pat, Pat Mitchell's a, a fabulous person, as we've said. Yes. Um, I think um, one of my highlights from Randolph Days and working with you and Skull, uh, you know, we do have favourites, you being one of my absolute favourites. <laughs> but um, uh, of your guests, I think someone that uh, sort of sticks with me throughout um, all of this time working alongside you was uh, was Terry Schwartz. And uh, mm. she was yes. she was a I think she was a film producer um, yes. of, yep. of films. Uh, mm-hmm famously sister act which I absolutely love I mean I can just watch them back to back to back (laughs) but she uh she's just a very very strong individual she knows what she wants Mm -hmm. she just gets on with it she does it and then we have a selection of rooms as you know at the hotel and we allocate them depending on who they are but you know she always had her favorite room doesn't matter who would like to be in that room it was a very standardized room uh, as I remember Um, but she just loved loved it you know it was four and a half miles to walk to but she just enjoyed the walk so but um she was a, a really lovely person to know so hopefully I'll get to see her another another time uh yeah I remember um Jake Eberts he was a film producer you're making me think of him and he has sadly passed away and he was just a lovely human being to work with and I remember we were doing a screening of his film it's a film about oceans again kind of saving the oceans very important very important to me mm-hmm. and we had had um one of the uh, theaters in Oxford was, you know, going to screen it for us. And that night, you know, we, we had him test it. You know, I had my staff member make sure it was good. And um, then that night when it started playing, you know, the first, I forget how many, 15 minutes or so, it's just these beautiful atmospheric shots. And then there's a voiceover, but there's uh, English uh, subtitles. because I, I believe it was in French. And the subtitles, of course, are important. If you don't speak French, you need to read them. Mm-hmm. Well, the... Um, there was a second. There was a change in staffing at the theater that we didn't know about that happened right before the screening, and that person decided, oh, wouldn't it be nice if the ocean was even bigger because it's so beautiful? And so they, it's called Keystone. They Keystoned the um, the picture to be bigger, which meant 15 minutes in, I'm sitting there in the theater watching it. All the VIPs, Jake Eberts, the front row, you can't see the subtitles. <laughs> So he pops up, this other guy pops up and um, they walk back to my seat and I think, oh dear, we walk outside. And as opposed to being, you know, upset or angry, you know, Jake Everts had met me enough times to know that this was breaking my heart too. And he was so sweet. The other person wanted to rip my head off uh, and he just looked and he said, is there any way you can fix this for me, Heather? And it was so gentle and sweet in a high pressure situation when he could have chopped off my head. Uh, and I said, oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, I went up there and uh, <clears throat> dealt with the projectionist and went fixed. It was fine. But I'll just never forget people like that who are in you know, positions of power and authority and renown and just the gentleness that they can Humble. offer in those moments. Yeah, it was really neat. So I know that for our listeners, uh, probably thinking to themselves, we keep talking about Skull, but for the yeah. life of me, I don't know what this man and Heather are actually on about. <laughs> Um, now, I could give this a blast, Heather, uh, but equally, um, I'm known more of a waffler than a words, so I'd probably leave it down to you, but could you just give a bit of insight into what Skull's about and why it's so close to your heart uh, and many others as well? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, something I could talk about forever because, you know, not only do I, I love it from a heart perspective, it really started and propelled my business to where it is today. So Jeff Skoll was the first president of eBay. So Pierre Omidyar founded eBay and Omidyar Network is another one of our clients. And Jeff Skoll was the first president he hired and Jeff Skoll wrote the business plan. So both of these gentlemen became you know, very wealthy, but thankfully for the world, both of these gentlemen decided to fund foundations or projects that were focused on social entrepreneurs. And so Jeff started the Skoll Foundation after his name, and its uh, mission was to fund, connect, and celebrate social entrepreneurs, which he did, and his organization did. And he also funded a center, the first social entrepreneur center at Oxford University at the Said Business School to really foster study in this area and foster school scholars, young people who might be encouraged to become social entrepreneurs. So it was a real full ecosystem approach. And then, of course, he started Participant Media, which if you've watched films like Good Night and Good Luck, Syriana, Inconvenient Truth, Contagion, he was, he was looking at uh, pandemics long before the rest of the world uh, was really taking that on board, I would say. So his entire being is around how do you how do you make a dent in the universe for good? And I could go on about him, but that's what the foundation does. And then all of his entities and the Skull World Forum was to bring these people together to really provide inspiration and connection uh, that they're not alone and that this is not a solo uh, endeavor for them, but that if we're all working together, we can we can see the world become a better place. So I always like to say I'm social change adjacent when we work with our clients. And to be socially change adjacent to Jeff Skoll is a pretty damn well privileged, honorable place to be that I do not take for granted at all. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And for people that want to maybe read more about this, because um, obviously, you know, we do need to act Acts now. Yes. Where can they find this information for, for oh. Skoll? Yes, Skoll.org, S-K-O-L-L, Skoll.org. If you ever want to get some inspiration for the day and maybe you read the news and you get down about all the things you're seeing, go to Skoll.org as your anecdote or your antidote and yeah. find out what people are doing to combat some of the world's most pressing problems. And I think you'll be extremely pleasantly surprised to see that um, there are warriors for good and warriors for change out there. And in my mind, the more we promote them, as opposed to some of the <clears throat> Pop-Tarts we're putting all over our magazines and newspapers, the better. I would much rather see our our newscasts and our newspapers and the Daily Mail have front pages with these social entrepreneurs than, than some of these people who might be on some reality show and gotten a fight with so-and-so housewife. That would be nice. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Heather, so for uh, Women's Month, uh, would you be doing any special celebrations for the teams or friends, family? Is it a big thing over in the, the, the US? Well, I mean, it, it is in the sense that our, our clients are doing a lot of things. So we're going to be a part of a um, a couple different um, convenings. I don't know if they're public, so I don't know if I can specifically advertise them right now, but convenings around you know Room 5 or I would say... Uh, Sustainable Development Goal 5, of course, is on gender equality. And so there are a lot of events uh, taking place around there where 
were included in a couple of them. And I think Gender Equality Women's Month is definitely thought of with all our clients. And so we're involved in that. As far as our own team, yes, we love to celebrate that. And again, talk about the abundance that even in my own team, you know, we have employees, but we also have contractors. You know, how can Caspian support their businesses? How can we give them a bigger microphone um, to succeed? Because again, if, if one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. And if one of us makes more money, great. Uh, again, as long as you don't take all 23 trillion investable dollars, there's plenty left for me. And I think that that's part of what we like to do. And then lastly, of course, when we were doing Surefire, and we are starting that up again, my girls conference, we would always try to do something either around Women's Month or around uh, International Women's Day in October. Fantastic. Well, it's been such an honor uh, interviewing you and having you on the podcast. I say interview because it's more just friends catching up and, and, you know, (laughs) from across the pond. Um, uh, I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully I will see you maybe in New York or if not, you'll be over here, uh, which is going to be really lovely. And um, yeah, again, Thank you for all the support and uh, allowing me to be part of the experience uh, with Caspian and, and, and the events throughout the years. And yeah, here's to many more. Oh, well, thank you so much. This is so fun. And it just, you know, it just keeps reminding me that I feel so lucky that I have so many friends across the pond. When you are over, we will obviously get together. And uh, should you need anything, then just ask William. Oh my gosh. Well, hey, I will buy the groceries if you do the cooking because I'm more of a hirer and not a cooker. So yes, please. (laughs) Amen, sister. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to our second podcast of Ask William and Friends. I really, really hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it with the fantastic Heather Mason from Caspian Agency. Please do let me know your thoughts and do subscribe to our series. Feel free to share with your friends, loved ones and anyone that you feel could benefit by listening to the podcast. Our next episode is a really exciting one and we'll be celebrating the best of British and it will feature an amazing guest as always. I am excited to think that you will be with us so please, please stay tuned. You can find us at Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. I would also like to say a huge thank you to my partners Rivet360 and OX Magazine for joining me on this exciting journey. Without both of you involved, this really wouldn't be possible. So thank you so, so much. See you next time.